and welcome to the fourth episode of Mejita Talks. <clears throat> I'm your host, Sherry Altergott, the Chief Experience Officer of the CX Edge. Today, we're very honored to have Ryan Avery with us. Ryan is one of the millennial generation's most profound speakers on strategic communication, negotiation, and leadership. As an Emmy Award-winning journalist, two-time best-selling author, and world record holder, Ryan has delivered more than 500 keynotes in 33 countries around the globe. Ryan currently lives in the United States with his family and is on a mission to show leaders how to go from A to the in their industry. Welcome, Ryan. Thank you so much for having me. We're so glad to have you. Know, I know you've been on the Mahita talking circuit uh, for a mm -hmm. few years now, so you're familiar with our audience to some degree. Yes. Um, so I I thought we'd start with kind of in your bio, you talk about going from A to the, and I was hoping you could just give us a little bit more context into what that means. Yeah. So within that context, um, about eight years ago, I started research on what's the difference between a leader versus the leader. What makes someone the best in their industry? Why are there Michael Phelps's? Why are there Madonna's? Why are there Oprah's? Um, why are there Walt Disney's? And when there's other cartoonists, drawing artists, there's other uh, obviously musicians and athletes, what makes them the? And so what I did is I started researching it. And then I started taking that research and seeing if I could implement it myself. So doing things that I've never tried before, seeing if I could take their strategies, implement them, and then see what would happen. And what I really realized is there's a big difference between A versus B in the business world. People don't want a product. They want the product. People aren't looking for a solution. They want the solution. And what was happening and what is still happening, especially in this world of COVID, whenever you offer A, you're among the noise. But when you're, when you're offering B and you set your standards to be B, then you go above the noise. People start noticing you. People start wanting to do more business with you. So it's more of a mind shift. It's more a B mind shift in a sense of not seeing yourself as a company, a leader, more importantly, seeing yourself as the company, the leader in what it is that you do. So you have better results. So you accelerate your achievements. So you have the, the best team. So it's all about this mindset of going from A to V in what you do. Wow, that's fascinating. Um, can you give us an example? You said you implemented some of those strategies into your life. Can you give just a, a brief example of, of what those strategies look like? Of the strategies or the examples of when I use them? The examples of when you use them. Yeah, so um, from, like, I know nothing about sports, and I wanted to see, or bike riding, a couple months ago, we implemented this strategy to see if we could break the world record for the longest cycling class in history. So uh, I biked for 28 hours with 25 of the world's most intense endurance athletes, and we broke the world record uh, for the longest static cycling class um, to raise money for people for bikes. The, in Colorado here, the state that I live in, um, more people were dying from bikes than any other year previously um, on or on bikes. And um, so we wanted to do something about that. And so I went from never cycling to breaking the world record. Same with um, public speaking. I never gave a public speech to winning the world championship of public speaking in eight months. So I used these strategies that other people shared with me or showed me or really gave insight to. I tried to implement them myself. 
and they work. They don't work all the time. I'll tell you, I've, I've lost a lot of world records. Uh, I've been in the hospital a lot to try different things. Um, so I'm more of that experiential learner or researcher to try and see what works and what doesn't. But I've used them to write best-selling books, to break world records, um, to make money, to, to do a bunch of different things. Um, but along the way, I've, I've not succeeded as well, <laughs> trying to figure out what they were. Well, I think that's an important point that, you know, it's, it's try and try again, and not everything works the yeah. first time, but maybe it works the second or third time. Oh, that's the whole thing about it. it it's, I'm not saying it's 100% guarantee. What I'm saying is it's more efficient. It's more effective. It's more when you're A, yeah, you can get by, but when you're Z, you have more, you give more. There's one biggest thing that I found in my research, and at first, I thought that these people who were the um, they had more money, or they had more time, or they had more access, or they had more awards. But what I quickly learned is there is a very big distinction from what you need to be the versus what you get when you are the. And what you get when you're the is more money, more time, more resources. When we study the best, and when we study these, you know, their businesses were created during a depression, or they couldn't walk at the beginning of their childhood and then they became the fastest runner. It's like these crazy things that they get and it's different things that differentiate a leader versus the leader that we all can implement. Well, I think that's, that's excellent advice, especially in the material handling industry, much like other industries, you've seen competition really explode. Mm -hmm. And a lot of right. people today find themselves one of many. And, you know, in the environment that we're living today, being mm -hmm. the, is the most critically mm -hmm. important thing that they could do. Um, totally. You mentioned a, a little bit about um, our, the COVID-19 crisis we're going through. And yeah. honestly, I'd be remiss if, if I didn't use your expertise to kind of talk about this. Um, one of yeah. the things you talk about is, is strategic communication. Um, mm -hmm. In this environment, mm -hmm. and for many Mahita members, they are companies that have a bricks and mortar facility, have people go into the office every day, and have field technicians right. and salespeople throughout the whole country. So in a very, yeah. they are an essential business, but in a very, very short amount of time, many of them went from going into an office every day to working from home. And mm -hmm. the communication difference of meeting with people in person, having scheduled meetings to, you know, Zoom meetings and, and being on the phone, it is a different communication in some respects. And I know some members have had trouble just adjusting to kind of this new business environment we're going through now. So yeah. do you have any recommendations for how you can still effectively communicate even though you can't meet with people face-to-face? -face? Absolutely. So one of my recommendations would first, in a way it's two recommendations, is being flexible upon what they want and their communication style. So a lot of us now, we're teachers, uh, we're parents, we are employees, all in the same household. Like I have two little kids. I have, I've been working from home for eight years, so I've, I'm a little ahead of the curve on this thing because I've been doing it for a while. Um, but it's hard when you have to do all these things at once. So what we typically do at work is we typically follow the work schedule because that's what we do. We show up around 9 a.m. and then we have lunch and then we go home. But what we need now is more of our leaders to be flexible with their teams. You might have four parents on your team who really need to make sure they put their kid to a nap at 12 o'clock, or they might be doing breakfast now at 6 a.m. 
and you might have a, a conference call scheduled at seven. So what you ultimately want to do is first check in with your team of when is the best time to have the team meeting? Uh, what time of day does that work for everyone? To get that consensus, what this ultimately does too is you might, you're not going to be able to find the consensus and there's going to be people who are going to say, I can't make that or I can't do that. But ultimately what you're doing is you're showing them as, the, as yourself as the leader to say, hey, I care about you. I understand what, that you're going through difficult times. I am here for you. I'm trying to figure something out. So instead of being this leader who's saying, this is what we're doing now, what you're doing is you're collectively finding what works best for the team and then going from there. So first, finding out when the best time is to communicate. And then the second is, what's the best way to communicate with you when I need something quickly? So what we do is we typically put our communication style on someone. So we'll send an email and we go, why didn't that person email me back? Well, again, they might have kids and they might have their phone on them and they're more of a texter. So simply checking in with your team to say, hey, if I need you in a quick amount of time, what is the best way to contact you? And you'll be very surprised with what people say. I do this with my clients as well. Um, some people will say, LinkedIn message me. This happened last week. Uh, one of my clients wanted me to give them a LinkedIn message. Their LinkedIn is their number one app. I'm like, okay. Uh, some people want me to text or call. Some people want me to call them before 8 a.m. on a Monday. Um, that's crazy, but that makes sense because that's when that person makes decisions. So ultimately, we want to check in with what's the best way to communicate with them when we need them and then when we should communicate with them. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And I like how you start out. I, I do think a lot of times as leaders, we put our communication style onto others. And it really should be the opposite way that we should be adapting to how our team wants to communicate. So I think that's excellent advice. Like, for example, we might we might have our, our weekly meetings on Mondays uh, at the office. Right. And that might work. But realistically, if we're parents and we're doing online schooling and that's a really tough time, I'm not saying switch it to Sundays or Fridays, but what if you did it during a time where you did it Sunday evenings for the check-in once the kids were in bed and you gave your staff a little bit of lead time Monday morning so they can get their kids going to school and things like that. I mean, being flexible is an important aspect of this. I agree. And I think, you know, we try to look at what's going to come out of, of the situation everybody's in today from a positive perspective. Mm -hmm. And I think you'll see companies becoming more flexible and adopting to lifestyles of their employees um, because it has a lot of benefits. And I think our world of, of nine to five and, and punching a clock and, mm -hmm. and two 15 minute breaks you know, is, is going away. And this probably just speeds it up what we're going through today. Um, so kind of sticking on the leadership topic. Um, a lot of times we talk in this industry and especially at the Emerging Leaders Conference that Mahita puts on about building trust in relationships. And building trust in business can look different in some cases than it is building trust with a friend or a personal relationship. Um, with so many younger generation coming into to this industry, working with a multitude of different generations, it can be difficult for them to figure out how to build trust with somebody that has 40 years of experience and they feel they're coming into this kind of new and unexperienced. How, what would you recommend they do to help to build trust within those types of relationships? I do this keynote called uh, Connect More, Convince Less, because it's exactly what you're saying, right? We're in this world of 
feeling like we need to convince people why we are good at that or convince people our worth versus what people really want is that connection. And in order to build trust, we need to connect with the people that we do that with. And my recommendation is to use what's called the three S. And so whenever we communicate, whenever we share stories, whenever we want to build trust, what I do is I share stories around fears, family, and failures. And the reason why I share around fears, family, and failures is because whether you're white, black, gay, straight, Christian, Muslim from Canada or Colorado, every single person has those three things. So when you share a story around those three things that then adds value to the conversation or to the person, you're going to rapidly build your connection and more importantly, build your trust. So what I recommend to anyone, whether you're starting out in the industry or like you said, you've been in it for 40 years, sharing more stories around fear, family, or failures that add value to the people you're talking to. And now you're going to be perceived as more valuable to them. A lot of people are good at storytelling and a lot of people are good at communicating, but they forget to add the value to the people that they're communicating to. So they stop seeing those leaders as valuable. So that would be my recommendation is stop trying to convince, start trying to connect. And how, one of those ways that you can connect is using the three S to build and to create that connection to then add value. That's great. I think, you know, a lot of it, to your point, is about understanding that everybody can contribute value, whether you have one day of experience or 40 years of experience. It's just a different type of value, but we all have that to offer, and I think that's an important point to recognize. Thank you. There's a very big difference between 25 years of experience and 25 years worth of experience. So in today's world, we can compact worth of experience in three, four, five years. I'd rather work with someone in like, um, I'm using this as an example right now because it's the closest one to me, is I'd rather work with a real estate agent who's had three years of experience, but they've done commercial, they've done uh, they specialize for the past like year and a half on residential and they, they bought the house and they know how to do it. And they've tried all different ways of um, selling different homes. They've sold million dollar homes and they've sold, uh, you know, $200,000 homes versus the real estate agent who it's been, uh, they've been in it for 25 years and, you know, they've sold homes and they get by, like, there's a big difference there of who I'd rather work with. Same within the uh, Mojito world, right? No, exactly. You're right on. Um, so I'm going to switch gears a little bit. Um, you talk, you wrote a best-selling book entitled Motivating Millennials. Um, I can yeah. tell you in this industry and in others, I think the topic of millennials and now the topic of, of Generation Z and the multi-generational workforce we're dealing with has been a topic that people have talked about for a number of years, um, but still struggle, I think, to find that right way to motivate employees throughout all generational spectrums. Um, your book called, again, Motivating Millennials. Can you tell me a little bit about what inspired you to write that book and, and really kind yeah. of the sense behind that? Yeah, the inspiration kind of, well, I look like I'm 15 and I sound like I'm 12. So for me, um, leaders would simply ask me questions about my generation simply because of the way that I looked and the way that I sounded. And I wasn't an expert in any of that, but I was getting so many questions around it that I decided I need to know answers about this when I'm on stage because a lot of people are asking me about it. So I started diving in, I started doing the research, and then a really important distinction between A versus Z came up in my leadership research, 
And it was a huge aha moment for me. And this is what helped me write the book with James Goodnow. And it's this, A leader manages their team, B leader motivates their team. And that's huge because this old school way of thinking is feeling like we need managers and we don't anymore. People don't want to be managed. You can manage your spreadsheets, you can manage your budget, but not your people anymore. That's a very old school way of doing business and working with your team. People want to come into the office feeling motivated. Uh, millennials, 65% of millennials want more feedback. The number one reason why millennials leave is because they don't feel appreciated at work. Over 50% of millennials wouldn't even come to your job if they know that you block social media. So there's these things out here with all these resources that we have and all this information around millennials, and it wasn't consolidated in one area. So A, I wanted to share the difference between what it means to manage versus what it means to motivate in today's world. And then I wanted to put together with James all of the, the, the things that were already out there to show leaders what they can do with this awesome generation to, I mean, we work longer hours. We are more loyal when you know how to motivate us. Um, there's some really cool things you can do within that generation to, to get your company to be more profitable, more productive, and to help the, the world. Awesome. I think that's a great time. And I'm assuming it's available on Amazon? Everywhere, yeah. Um, Amazon, okay. Barnes & Noble, CEO reads every, everywhere you can. Very good. Thank you. Um, so kind of sticking a little bit on the millennial topic as it relates to building a pipeline of talent. Um, a lot of the issues, and, and one of Mahita's critical impact factors is building a pipeline of talent. And one of the issues in this industry is there's a lot of companies that are smaller in size that really don't have the resources to hire you know, an intern staff of, of five, six people to build that mm. pipeline, whereas some of your larger organizations do. Do you have any mm. recommendations for hiring younger talent and building your pipeline that throughout the organization, but without investing more money than they can afford to do. Yes, one of the biggest ways that we've seen this work is uh, setting up official mentoring programs. So really within the company, knowing how, and here is the proper way we mentor people. And the mentorship can go a variety of different ways. Um, not solely the people who have been with the company 40 years teaching the new hires, same vice versa. What can the new hires teach the people who have been there 40 years around technology or around social media or around things that they can both help each other out? So one of the biggest and most impactful things you can do within your company right now is standardizing and implementing mentorship programs and knowing what they look like, how they look like, and what you want to accomplish within them. I love that. And I've heard, we've talked a lot about mentorship within the Mahita environment. And it's something that I think some companies struggle with. And I think you hit it right on the head that it has to be a mutually beneficial relationship. It's not a yeah. teacher-student. You know, it's a teacher-teacher. Yeah. So I love that. I think that's great. So another one that you can create top talent is, you know, a company, what they used to do is they used to generalize uh, around here's what everyone gets. Here's what we're going to do. But what the company can do now, especially to attract top talent, is they can specialize. So what they can do is, or, or customize, really. So it's generalized versus customized. So instead of everybody gets this, 
looking at your five teams and saying, well, Ryan likes to do triathlons, so if you reach your goal, I'll pay for your next triathlon. Susan likes to uh, go out to eat, so I'll give you, you know, X, Y, and Z to cook and go out to eat and do this. So you really customize the incentive program within your company. What we found is it costs you a lot less and it keeps your people there a lot longer because they know that you care about them more. So instead of generalizing your incentives for your employees and your talent, how can you customize your incentives that allow people to know, wow, my leader really cares about me? I think that's a great point. And it's very thematic about what we've talked about. It's the flexibility towards individuals and not grouping everybody into either generational categories or work function categories, but personalized experience. So that's great. Absolutely. Um, so we're getting to the end of our time. We like to end, we like to get to know our speakers a little bit better. I know some people okay. have seen you. I did want, I had one last point um, that just to bring it full circle from one of the first Mahita talks I did, uh, we had Lauren Zach was our guest speaker. She had attended your um, seminar, I think it was Emerging Leaders last year with Mahita. Yeah. And I yeah. had asked her a question and it, it was really just, you know, what's one of the best pieces of advice you've ever received? And she, I was going back through my notes and she actually referenced you from Emerging Leaders. And so That's this is so a cool. And, and what she had said, I just want to, I'm paraphrasing what she said, so you can correct me if I'm incorrect. But she said that she saw Ryan Avery speak, and one of the things that really stuck with her was not using the word just. Yeah. And that she mm -hmm. has changed her communication in both writing and speaking to remove that word. So maybe just for a little bit of context and to follow up on that last, could you just, did I get that right, first of all? And um, just kind of the meaning behind that. Yeah, so I teach leaders words not to use. I believe words are free, but they cost us a lot. And what we're doing is we're not paying attention to our communication. We surveyed over 1,200 full-time American employees last year to find out really what their communication is like. And we found out that 85% of them feel like they would be significantly better at what they did if they had stronger communication strategies. However, 75% of American companies never have offered a communication training to their team. So we offer leadership training, we offer marketing training and sales training, but what's the one we don't? Communication. And then what's the one that we're the most screwed up on is communication. And so what I do is I teach these words and one of those is just because I hear it all the time and we minimize ourselves right off the bat, especially merging leaders. We'll say, I've just been in the industry for three years. I just have five employees. I just graduated college. And what it does is it automatically minimizes who you are and it does not demonstrate your confidence. Taking out that one word can instantly increase your confidence, both how you see yourself and how you're perceived. To say, I graduated college last year. I have five employees. I've been doing this for one year. That one difference in the way that I communicate makes all the difference in demonstrating my confidence. So deleting just incredibly impactful for what, how we move forward with the way that we communicate. I love that. We, we actually talked about something similar at the Women in Industry Conference this last year that I emceed, and we actually talked, uh, some of our conversation was around the word just, because you would hear people answer questions of, well, I'm just a lower level employee, and mm -hmm, I've just mm -hmm. been in the industry for a few years. So I think that's a great, easy, 
change that people can make if they think about it when they're doing it. So I, I think that's right. good advice. All right, cool. so we're to the end of our session. We'd like to end these and we'd like to get to know our speakers a little bit better. So we do a okay. lightning round. I'm gonna ask you All 10 right. questions. If there are quick answers that come to, to the top of your head first. You ready? Okay, let's do it. I'm ready. All right. What's your favorite word? Like. <laughs> <laughs> At least it wasn't just. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I like much. What sound or noise do you love the most? Sound, uh, I would say my wife's voice. I love, I love my wife's voice. Good answer. Uh, what's your favorite holiday? Christmas. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Uh, <laughs> I cannot sing at all, but probably like a pop star, like boom, 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 because I like to yeah. perform, so some type of pop star. <laughs> yeah. That's a dream of mine as well. I wanted to be the fourth yeah. member of Salt and Pepper. Um, there you go. <laughs> what are you not very good at? I am not very good to, with details. I, I am the worst with details. And losing my wallet. I'm really bad at that. <laughs> <laughs> um, what's your go-to order at your favorite hometown restaurant? So I am vegetarian, so I love the Cheesecake Factory. And I know that's a chain, but I'm a big Cheesecake Factory person. Uh, so there's like so many good dishes there that I love, um, from pastas to breads to really anything from the Cheesecake Factory. And consistency, wherever you go in the country, they have pretty high consistency rates. So that's mm -hmm. a good answer. Um, what makes you feel inspired? Helping people. when it, So I love breaking world records that help people in their cause. So um, doing something I've never done and then doing that with a world record that then helps a big cause, raise a lot of money or make an impact. It's my favorite thing to do. How would your parents describe what you do for a living? I don't, <laughs> my sister and I joked about this last week. I honestly don't think my parents know what I do. Um, I, I think they would say I am a speaker, even though I teach them to be the a lot. And I would say like, no, let's talk about being me. But I really don't feel like they could explain it. <laughs> we <laughs> joked about that, my sister and I literally yeah, last yeah. week. I think I'm in the same boat. Um, did you watch Tiger King? I have not watched Tiger King. I've, I've heard about it, though. You're like the only person I've talked to who didn't watch Tiger King. I, um, no. What is the best thing that you've done while in quarantine? My children and I have started, we have this really cool piece of property. And one of the things that I haven't ever done, because I usually travel 200 days a year, you know, we have apples and plums and grapes and we have these like all these things. And then we have this piece of land that we haven't done anything with that now we've started a full organic garden. So we have zucchinis and watermelons and green beans and cantaloupes and literally like everything we can think of. Um, so being able to from seed with my daughter plant things and have them grow and teach my daughter about planting and vegetables have been amazing like so amazing that's awesome that's a very good use of quarantine lockdown time um Thanks. so that's all we have today do you have any closing comments you just want to leave our audience with yeah my closing thing that i always want you to take away from me or remind or be reminded of is don't be a bb 
and look at it in every regard. Don't be a dad, be the dad. Don't be a mom, be the mom. Don't offer a solution, offer the solution. Go from A to Z in everything. I commit to you, your life changes instantly when you have that mind shift. Awesome. Well, thank you again, Ryan, for being with us. You're watching Mahita Talks, and we'll see you for our next episode. Thank you. Thanks, y'all.